There's that sound again. Those are the drums of liberty. Confucius, over 2,500 years ago, said, There cannot be two suns in the sky, nor two emperors on the earth. How does modern-day China see us? How should we see China so America can begin flourishing again? Stay tuned for the Liberty Minute. Welcome to the Theory to Action podcast, where we examine the timeless treasures of wisdom from the great books in less time to help you take action immediately and ultimately to create and lead a flourishing life. Now, here's your host, David Kaiser. Hello, I am David, and welcome back to the Liberty Minute. Strap yourselves in, folks. This is not going to be an upbeat Liberty Minute. We're going to have to deal with some reality. So in February of 1972, U.S. President Richard Nixon made a seven-day-long trip to China. The trip was heralded as the opening of China. The reasons for the trip was multifaceted. But the overarching main reason for the trip was to drive a wedge between China and Soviet relations at the time and to help end the Vietnam War. If you remember, in 1949, Mao Zedong and his communist forces drove the Nationalist Army, headed by Chiang Kai-shek, off the mainland and established the People's Republic of China. In doing so, Mao, in the way the communists view the world, reset the Chinese people back on the track of reclaiming for themselves the number one status and nation in the world. By doing so, Mao helped end the humiliations of the past for the Chinese people. And so that brief backstory brings us to our current modern-day China and to our mojo book of the day for this Liberty Minute, which is the 100-Year Marathon, China's Secret Strategy to Replace America as the Global Superpower, written by Michael Pillsbury director of the Center on Chinese Strategy at the Hudson Institute. And to get us up to date very quickly, let us turn to the book to understand five assumptions that the United States and its foreign policy com- community make continually about China that are just flatly wrong. Number one, engagement brings complete cooperation. Number two, China is on the road to democracy. Number three, China is the fragile flower. Number four, China wants to be and is just like us. And number five, China's hawks are weak. End of quote. Those five assumptions Michael Pillsbury sprinkles throughout the book with a riveting set of facts and stories to back up how these assumptions are giving us the wrong way to view the modern-day Chinese people and leadership. 
But most alarming is this overarching message. Let's go to our book for the first pull quote. Quote, the strength of the 100-year marathon, however, is that it operates through stealth. To borrow from the movie Fight Club, the first rule of the marathon is that you do not talk about the marathon. Indeed, there is almost certainly no single master plan locked away in a vault in Beijing that outlines the marathon in detail. The marathon is so well known to Chinese leaders that there is no need to risk exposure by writing it down. But the Chinese are beginning to talk about the notion more openly, perhaps because they realize it may already be too late for America to keep pace. End of quote. And further down the page, we're going to pick up the book again. Quote, when the U.S. economy was battered during the global financial crisis of 2008, the Chinese believed America's long-anticipated and unrevocable decline was beginning. I was told by the same people who had long assured me of China's interest in only a modest leadership role within emerging, within an emerging multipolar world that the Communist Party is realizing its long-term goal of restoring China to its, quote, proper place in the world. In effect, they were telling me that they had deceived me and the American government. With perhaps a hint of understated pride, they were revealing the most systematic, significant, and dangerous intelligence failure in American history. And because we have no idea the marathon is even underway, America is losing. End of quote. So we Americans and our so-called China experts have been repeatedly played. And now here we are in an existential struggle because China is running much faster than we are and they will not play by any of the so-called world rules. So when did this all start and how do we even get in this position? That's a very good question. And let's go back to the book because I found this passage extremely interesting. Quote, in the 1950s, China publicly deferred to the Soviet Union as the leader of the communist bloc. The Chinese feigned weakness and sought aid and assistance from the more technologically advanced Russians. But second fiddle was not a role that suited Mao. The Soviets knew this, and as much as they feared and mistrusted China, they feared a Sino-American alliance even more. So they sent the Americans a false message. End of quote. So we have a full embrace of socialism, and we have a, a sending of a false message to the Americans. And then there's this. We're going to go back to the book. Quote, socialism in the ideological struggle, Mao said, borrowing a clear Darwinian phrase, now enjoys all the conditions to triumph as the fittest. In the 1950s, Mao and others in the Chinese leadership spoke often of dominating the rest of the world, phrases dismissed by Westerners as mere delusions of grandeur or harmless efforts to stoke nationalist fever. Not unlike exhortations in the United States by Eisenhower, Kennedy, Truman, or Nixon portraying America as the greatest nation on earth. As the Chinese Communist Party issued slogans proclaiming China would 
overtake Britain and catch up with America during a period known in China as the Great Leap Forward, few appreciated the seriousness of the, es the espoused intent. Throughout Mao's tenure, American intelligence officials succumbed to their own biases and prejudices. Most viewed the Chinese as a reclusive and almost primitive people being led by a coalition of radicals. The country's streets were filled with bicycles instead of cars. Chinese manufacturers couldn't build electric fans. There was little foreign investment. Chairman Mao's bizarre nationalistic schemes were sources of amusement to the West. He withdrew all of China's ambassadors from overseas. To help farmers, Mao ordered the military to kill all the sparrows that were eating the crops throughout the country. Yet the great leader did not seem to appreciate that the sparrows also kept harmful insects away. And as a, as a result, China's crops suffered from widespread infestation. End of quote. Dang. So how's that for socialism working? Well, maybe, just maybe, those China hawks that we learned about in the beginning, maybe they don't have nearly the power that they once had under Chairman Mao back in the 1950s. And maybe this new leadership is of a different mindset. So let's fast forward and find out where this marathon is at and who's in first place versus who's in second place. Going back to the book, four decades later, shortly after Xi Jinping assumed office as General Secretary of the Communist Party of China, a precursor to his becoming president, he provided a greater glimpse of China's underlying intentions. In his maiden speech in his new role, Xi used a phrase that no Chinese leader had ever used in public. He used a a phrase, and I'm not going to try and pronounce the Chinese, but the translation was a strong nation dream. Pillsbury comment or Pillsbury says the comment was remarkable. China's leaders are extremely careful with their language, especially in public, far more so than Western politicians. They avoid words such as a dream or hopes in their public remarks. Such emotion laden sentiments are considered a flaky Western Incentricity. However, Z had since made repeated references to the China dream in his speeches. According to a front page story in the Wall Street Journal, Z referred to 2049 as the date the dream will be realized, 100 years exactly after Mao Zedong's ascension in China and the formation of the communist state. So there we have it, the China dream, huh? So this marathon is being ran and we Americans don't know we're in a race. And clearly we're in second place, not knowing that the marathon is actually being ran. They view us much differently than we view them. And all of our experts have been wrong. Going back to the book, by invoking the strong nation dream, President Z was referring to a once obscure book, obscure that is in the West. Published in China in 2009 called The China Dream, the book was written by a colonel in the People's Liberation Army named Liu Mingfu. 
then working as a leading scholar at China's National Defense University, which trains future generals of the People's Liberation Army. It was there that I first spotted a specific written reference to the 100-year marathon. The China Dream became a nationwide bestseller. The book, only parts of which have been translated into English, outlined how China will become the world's leading power, surpassing and then replacing the United States. It analyzed how the Soviet Union had failed to supplant the United States, and an entire chapter was devoted to the eight ways China's effort would be different. The phrase Liu adopted as his own, the 100-year marathon, held resonance. Across China, though the word marathon itself is borrowed from English, the concept is more readily referred to in Mandarin as Chinese, quote, rejuvenation within a just world order or in keeping with the book's title, The China Dream. The word for rejuvenation or restoration is fuxing, seems to be synonymous with the marathon, assuming it takes a century counting from 1949. China is both secretive and sensitive about the end state of the marathon. It has never exactly spelled out what the final fuxing would be like, except to declare it, it would be a good thing. Liu's book called for a world-class military to project global leadership, and China's, quote, grand goal in the 21st century is to become the world's number one power. Liu declared, the competition between China and the United States, he predicted, will not be like a shooting duel or a boxing match, but more like a track and field competition. It will be like a protracted marathon. At the end of the marathon, Liu contended, the ruler finally will be the most virtuous power on the planet, and that would be the Chinese, end of quote. So, reading a nation's book can give us a lot of insight into how the nation actually thinks, especially a nation with mostly state-controlled bookstores. And in fact, let's go back to our last quote of the book. Quote, when asked in 2010 by an ABC News reporter about his provocative work, Lou held firm on the book's central positions, but stressed that China's competition and ultimate victory over the West would be peaceful. But for those of us able to read his book in the original Mandarin, that is not the tone he adopts there at all. The colonel alludes to the importance of studying American weaknesses and preparing to hit the Americans once the West becomes wise to China's true game plan. Liu also hints at the existence of an official marathon strategy among the Chinese leadership praising Mao Zedong because, quote, he cared to craft a grand plan to surpass America, stating that the beating of the United States would be China's greatest contribution to humanity. As the Wall Street Journal revealed in 2013, the China Dream is featured in the recommended reading section of all state-controlled bookstores. End of quote. So how's that marathon going? Well, Let's just take some independent benchmarks for ourselves. In 1997, before the British government handed over Hong Kong, China agreed to a framework known as the One Country, Two Systems. 
and it pledged to keep Hong Kong's capitalist system in place and allow the citizens to enjoy the many freedoms not found in mainland China. China's promise was to keep hands off for 50 years. And then just three years ago, in 2019, China began a heavy crackdown. And now, virtually, there's very little freedoms left in Hong Kong. Which brings us to our our next benchmark, the imprisoning of Jimmy Lai. Jimmy Lai is a 74-year-old British citizen who brought down Beijing's wrath because of his uber-popular newspaper, independent newspaper, the Apple Daily, which was published in Hong Kong. It championed the democratic values that um, essentially were in the face of China's new national security law in 2019. Jimmy Lai was arrested. He was taken to jail on trumped-up charges, and China has seized all of the Apple Daily newspaper property forced its closure and arrested many others on the executive and editorial teams. So much so for China respecting the freedom of the press promised in that 1997 China and British joint declaration. And our final benchmark, the Wuhan virus. How shameful is it that we are three years removed from this virus coming to the world stage and no one, zero, nobody, is being held accountable. The Biden administration has all but shut down any further investigation from the United States' side on the origins of the Wuhan virus. And frankly, it's just disgusting that nobody on the world stage is speaking out about this like it never happened. We all just live through this nightmare and nobody's going to be held accountable. So there are our independent benchmarks on how this marathon is going. Let's get back to the book. In the end, Pillsbury outlines nine principal elements of the Chinese strategy, which form the backbone of the 100-year marathon. So be sure to check out the book for those details. But for now, and in today's Liberty Minute, let us come to know And most especially realize that we have to see the world as it is, not how we would like it to be. China is playing the very long game. They're playing for keeps. And all of this might come to a head with an invasion of Taiwan, which the United States frankly cannot just stand idly by and watch from the sidelines. The Ukraine mess, I believe, has been a distraction to suck in the United States and force us to spend, 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 which we have done. Knowing full well that China has the U.S. president over a barrel because of his son and that godforsaken laptop, which is all just horrific blackmail material for China. So, folks, I hate to be negative on this one. I like to be positive. I like to provide some good policy analysis to, to show a pathway to liberty and to a good and peaceful world. But frankly... That's not the case on this one. We're in a pickle. We are in a difficult, difficult spot on the world stage, and we have no leadership anywhere to be found. We look to the White House for leadership, and there's nothing there. We look to our Congress. Nope. 
We look to our defense apart, our defense department. That's laughable. We look to the world stage for any leader who has a sense of right and wrong. And there's no one there. Could we perhaps look to the British government because they were the co-signers in that British-Chinese declaration of 1997? But Boris Johnson has been neutered, and we are awaiting new re-elections for a new prime minister there. So the world is calling on the phone, but nobody is answering. So our only hope is to pray. And pray as we must that we somehow can navigate these treacherous waters. But more importantly, knowing full well that China views the United States with these words. There cannot be two suns in the sky, nor two emperors on the earth. Thank you for joining us. We hope you enjoyed this Theory to Action podcast. Be sure to check out our show page at teammojoacademy.com, where we have everything we discussed in this podcast, as well as other great resources. Until next time, keep getting your mojo on. Are you a voracious reader who yearns for a deeper understanding of your favorite books? Or perhaps you're a busy professional seeking to enrich your knowledge, but short on time. The Mojo Academy 2.0 is your perfect solution. Our revamped service now includes beautifully designed monthly written reviews and PDF format to accompany our popular audio reviews. These aren't just summaries. These are comprehensive and insightful explorations of each book packed with the actual quotes from the book to enhance your understanding. With usually 69 pages per review, they are perfect reference tools to take your learning to the next level. Get your free Mojo Academy review in written format at teammojoacademy.com or click on today's show notes for that free link. Again, teammojoacademy.com or click on today's show notes and you will see the link for the free written review. Get yours today.